Hello and welcome to the Doing the Rounds podcast with me, Josh Faulkner. Thank you to all those that listened to our pilot episode with Phil Powers last week. If you've got any thoughts or suggestions for the show, I'd love to hear them. Or if you want to show us some love on social media, you can find me on the Twitter at Josh T. Faulkner and Instagram at the Josh Faulkner. My guest this week is one of the most controversial characters in British wrestling, LDN wrestling promoter Sanjay Bagger. We talk all things from Sanjay's beginnings to LDN Capital TV on the wrestling channel right through to his plans for the future. This is one not to be missed. Now sit back and enjoy as Sanjay Bagger does the rounds with Josh Faulkner. I've never done a podcast before. I've always turned them down. Uh, you're lucky. <laughs> I first met you through my trainer, John Ritchie, as well as being a mainstay for LDN Wrestling for many years. John ran the Dropkicks training school, and for, for many years there was a close relationship between LDN and Dropkicks. So through John, I would come along to the shows you promoted, put the ring up, sell merchandise, do the sound. On occasion, I would referee and find myself beating up the wrestlers. Yes, we 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 can talk talk about that incident with bulldozer a little bit later on if you want, because uh, I have very oh. many, many many happy memories of you uh, whacking him for real, and uh, yeah, I thought it was quite funny anyway. Well, what's your first memory of wrestling? Uh, as a fan, or uh, my first wrestling show, my my parents used to watch World of Sport, so I've grown up in a household that watched wrestling, and we got Sky really early, around about ninety, I think. There's either eighty nine or ninety, we got Sky. So my first ever wrestling show was going to SummerSlam ninety two. Sat in the back row, cheap seats from Touts on the day, uh, with my dad and my brother. <laughs> I've been in love. I've been in love with wrestling since. You know, I mean, as a wrestling fan growing up, British Bulldog, Ric Flair. They, there's the kind of people that I grew up watching in that era, and I've I've never really stopped till probably the last few years. I don't really watch as much now, or if at all, um, you know, occasionally here and there. But so I've had a, a strong connection, but I didn't obviously get involved in wrestling until around about 2003 with the uh, the FWA, the Frontier Wrestling Alliance, which was feels like a it's nearly a 17 years ago. It's a long time. It is a long time. So you touched on it a little bit there. So what was your first step into becoming a part of the British wrestling scene? Uh, yeah, what it was, FW was running a tour. So I'd been to a few of their shows. I thought they did really well at the time. Uh, I didn't know a great deal about British wrestling then. I used to go to all-star wrestling events, believe it or not, in Croydon. Every, uh, I think it was every once a month or something like that on a Tuesday night. So I used to go to that. And I'd, fin- I'd been to a few Hammerlock shows. So I watched Revival, which was run by Tommy Boyd. And that motivated me to get interested because he ran this big show in Crystal Palace. Crystal with- Palace. Absolutely. Yeah. Phenomenal. A couple of thousand people, I think it was, or whatever it was. With Eddie Guerrero, top of the bill, who, in my opinion, is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Uh, you yeah. also had Grandmaster Sexy on the show, who's a, who's a good entertainer. So it was a yes. phenomenal show. So it got me motivated. I thought, you know, I want to be involved in wrestling, but I'm not going to really be a wrestler because I'm not really the athletics type. And I've, my background is that my father, his dad... All my family of have a long list of goldsmiths, self-employed, never been employed, and I didn't want to be employed either by anyone. So um, they're advertising the FWA about running this British breakout tour, and they're looking for promoters. And I thought, you know, I'll give it a go. How hard can it be? And how long was I? <laughs> Remember, I was 18 at the time. So I thought it would be easy. Obviously, everyone does. You know, when you're 18, you think, you know, I'm still doing my A-levels at the time. So I ended up contacting good old Alex Shane, I guess, and I'm, 
speaking so where, of... where did you see this advert that the FWA it, were looking for promoters? Was it in a magazine? Was it online? It was talk, talk radio. Um, it was, they were talking about, I believe, right. a talk yeah. show that they used to have Wrestle Talk. And they said they're looking for promoters. They're uh, expanding. So I just messaged him, not thinking. Uh, I messaged the FWA, not thinking I'd ever hear back. Uh, you know, the amount of times you contact sort of people, big organisations, and you don't hear back. Yes. And this is before, you know, social media was a thing. This is when, you know, I certainly wasn't even on Facebook at the time or anything like that. So um, so I emailed and I got a response. So I went and met up. And within a few days, we'd arranged a meeting at Acton Town Hall. And I ran my first wrestling show four weeks later. So it was very wow. last minute. The tour had already been booked. And this was a Wednesday night midweek gig in the half term. And it was put together only a couple of weeks beforehand. Um, and considering all, you know, it wasn't a financial success for me as such. But it still had about 130, 140 people show up on a Wednesday night um, in the middle of a half term with three or four weeks notice, which wasn't too bad. And considering today with what people have been drawing before the virus, that's pro probably a decent number, isn't it? And it's sad to say. So do you remember what half term it was? Uh, April. It was Easter holiday. A Easter. April, 20, Easter April 23rd. Believe it or not, so just celebrated the anniversary of that. Just a, a Six, sixteen years, was it? Sixteen, seventeen years, yes. Wow! I want to run Eating Town Hall, but they were like very hesitant about putting a wrestling ring, so they moved it to Acton. And the exact words I remember of the venue manager, because he used to watch wrestling, he said it was rough and ready and it'd be perfect for your show. And at the time, I didn't quite understand what he means, but. Uh, Maybe it's made sense, acting. I don't know what you know about the area. It's pretty rough and ready, isn't it? It's a, It just happened to be the wrong audience for wrestling, unfortunately. It is, but for, I think it's been a while since I've been up to the Acton Way, but it's sort of right over from Chiswick, which is one of the most wealthiest parts of London. Acton is the opposite, but it might, it might have changed. I'll be honest, that was 2003, and I've been to Acton one since, and that was driving through because of diversions. I've never really had a need to go through acting so it might be a little bit more upmarket now sort of thing but it, it was just the wrong kind of people there that wouldn't like wrestling uh yeah. so whilst it did do well it attracted the fwa traveling audience which i was very grateful for you for and uh, a lot of my school friends believe it or not came to the show and my school teachers just to see what it was all about because i managed to talk them into coming and buying tickets which was always good so you're 18 running your first show at acting town hall Easter holidays. Who was on Great. the bill that night? Um, I remember Paul Birch. I don't remember the exact lineup. That's terrible. I know. I know Doug Williams was against. Um, uh, I can't remember. Juventud Guerrero. I believe he was on the show. I know Nikita was against Mark Sloan. I believe. Uh, Paul Birch was on the okay. show. And Ulf Herman. And just before the show, the show's just died. It's just before a segment. And next minute, no, Alex is standing there. Alex Shane, Andrew Coyne, who was who ended up becoming, who was a referee at the time for the FWA, ended up becoming my main commentator when LDN took off many years or later. And we're standing there with Ralph, who then became, who was the music guy, who became my TV producer. You can see the links, how LDN sort of took off in a minute. But uh, this is your yes. You're coming to the ring to do a promo. I said, no, I'm not. And this is, <laughs> I was, I was an 18-year-old young, shy guy. I wasn't really confident or anything. They said, you come in the ring, you can introduce whole firm. And I said, no, I'm not. And I refused. And uh, they said, no, just go out to the ring. It'll be fine. And they, they thought it'd be funny. I had Paul Terrell then, uh, not Paul Terrell, Paul, uh, I think it's uh, another guy called Paul. Anyway, came out and he had the family do a segment. And I had no idea what was happening, but 
Ulf runs out and uh, I was like, I'm never ever coming near the ring again. And how many years later I'm the ring announcing every single show and I'm more than happy to speak for the company sort of thing. Things change, eh? You all grow older. Absolutely. Being a young promoter running your first show at 18, did sure. you face any hostility from the promoters that were running at that time? Uh, no, because cause social media wasn't around then. And I think social media, for all its good it's done, there's a lot of negativity. And I think the good thing was at that time, even if they said something, I wouldn't have known because I kept to myself. I didn't really know about it. I didn't have, like, say, Facebook. Twitter, I don't think it was even around. So I had a MySpace account, but that, that was about <laughs> it. So, so, if there were, so there, I'm sure they were saying things, but I certainly didn't know about them. And it, like I said, it didn't mean anything to me. It was my own thing. I was just giving it a go to see whether it would make any money or not. Um, and it was it was a life experience because it was my first own business thing that I did, you know what I mean? And it was a, I think it set me up for what was to come in the future. So you mentioned a few names. Uh, Ralph Cardell was uh, the music man of FWA producing the, the ring music. Uh, Andrew Coyne, who was a referee. What help did you have in the early days of promoting? Uh, nobody. This is how bad it was. So I went to meet Alex and uh, and he said, I'll give you a hand. With There's a lot of history between me and him and we haven't spoken since the show, believe it or not, but, uh, or just after the show. But uh, this is the, the FWA's idea of help. He said, I'll give you a hand postering and I'll, I'll make sure it goes well. And when it came to it, he said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I'm going to the cinema with uh, Kat, who's Nikita. So he buggered off to the cinema and I was left to be on my own, but I kind of got the gist that I'd seen the circus and I thought the circus are the best promoters in the country. So I put posters up everywhere and I gave it a go. It just was enough time scale, I think, at the time to pull it off to get more people because it's, it's a big venue act in Town Hall. You can get seven, eight hundred in. Obviously, we didn't lay out that many seats. We laid out for 200, so it didn't look too bad. But, you know, it's, it's, it's still 130, 140 in, in, a, in a big venue. You know what I mean? So it was pretty much all on my own. Was it just the one FWA show that you ran, or did you run more than just the one at the Acton Town Hall? One at the Acton Town Hall. It wasn't the right area. I did one more, I believe, which was the next year. But by then, uh, I think it was, yeah, next year. It might have been the year after or something. I think it was 2004, actually. And it was in Enfield, Southbury Leisure Centre, uh, which would become a big uh, success story. We had, a, I think, two or 300 seats laid out. We had 450-something show up, and people paying to stand all around the building. It was absolutely packed. Um, and we had CM Punk on the show, who I had never heard of. Because I'd <laughs> wow. put shows on. And you'd part of, part of a tour, you'd get these people. And I didn't know who he was. You know, I mean, I was paying a fixed fee for the show. Um, so he was on the show. Um, and, uh, yeah, obviously, yeah, Nikita as well. I, I must mention, Chris Hamrick was on my first show as well. I just, once again, I'd never heard of him. So I didn't know who he was. And actually right. didn't let him in the building because I thought he was a... An old age pensioner or tramp trying to get him. <laughs> it was a bit of embarrassment when I got told off for it, but uh, you live and learn. What do I know? I was 18. So, how long after the FWA shows that you run did you go on to launch LDN Wrestling with it was, that name? It wasn't too far long. I just had enough. I, it was, the FWA started to decline really fast. I think it got to one of the shows in Coventry Sky Dome. I did the Wrestling Channel show, and it just around then, just before then, I think it was. Uh, things were going downhill when I had enough and I just thought you know this is not how you run a business because there's certain things that I was learning because whilst I was running these shows I took a little bit of break six months to eight months between my first two or three shows with them and I was going to shows like All Star I was going to Hammerlock 
and I was trying to see what they were doing and I was seeing that there's money to be made but the way the FWA doing it was they, they were paying so much and they're flying in and necessarily the main people that were coming to these shows, the locals, they don't know who CM Punk at the time was. They didn't know these people, yet you'd be paying for them to come in and it, it just didn't make sense to me. So I ran my own first show in, I believe, 2005 in... Uh, in Brentside, uh, near Hanwell, right next to where I live, and that's how LDN started. Right. So when you formed LDN, was it with the mindset of it being a touring family show rather than aimed at the internet fans? Yeah, it was definitely. I don't think touring at the time. I, I don't think I was. I thought that far ahead. I think it was mainly just to be a nice local show, just in my area, just to see how it goes, see if it works. Uh, people on the show included uh, Paul Ash, Martin Stone, who's obviously doing the. NXT thing right now um, and there's a host of other people in there that, are, that you might not know who don't even wrestle now but there's a few people on there but the, the idea behind it was to put on a local show and just to see if I can do it on my own but I was so nervous that other people the FW would find out I didn't put it on the internet I didn't publicize it anywhere like that all I did was basically do local promotion just to see what I can draw and if I, what I was thinking in my head was right that you don't need to be going on the internet every five seconds uh, and appealing to that audience, the local people will come out because British wrestling has a history with wrestling. It's so wrestling has a history with this country. It's always had yes. it. You know what I mean? And I think that was being forgotten by the FWA at the time. They were just appealing to this very specific audience, and eventually it was all winding down for them. Were you worried in any way of the likes of FWA promoters finding out that you were running your own shows? Yeah, I think so. I was 18, 19, so probably about 19 at the time. I was, yeah, I was quite worried, you know what I mean? But I kept it quiet and nobody said anything. Um, and it was only to a few years later did Alex kick up a fuss about it. And I remember I had Robbie Brookside on my show and he, he tried to talk him out of doing the show and Robbie basically told him to get lost and says, you're a wrestler for who you want to wrestle. Uh, and fair play to Rob, you know, and he did a tremendous job. He came in, he'd done a few shows for me, worked very hard, you know, thinking that he's working for a 20-year-old, you may think he'll come in and be lazy, and he wasn't. He was very professional, and I think he's, a once again, he's a great worker. It's a shame he's not wrestling anymore, but obviously he's a trainer, and in the NXT, fair play to him, you know what I mean? He's earning the good life He's right gone now. on to good things, yeah. absolutely. We'll come on to names like, like Rob Brookside a little bit later on, but... um. So what would you say your first big step was with LDN Wrestling? So going from running the shows local to you into branching out across the country? Sure. Well, the first thing I wanted to do was take Southbury. As you said, it was my venue that I booked. And whilst I ran it under the FWA name, I took it over and I ran it as LDN. Um, and so I've been going to these shows and I've been trying to so I started running Enfield on a regular basis. Then I ran Romford, another big success. And a guy, I, had Facebook, I just started on Facebook at the time, and I remember meeting a guy called Sean Herbert, who ended up becoming the owner of the wrestling channel, bought the first ever wrestling channel. So my big thing was that when I was posting pictures, like you probably know on Facebook, about the attendances, he was like, he said, well done, well done, I can't believe you're drawing so well. So I think the big first step was us was when he approached us about having... Uh, a TV deal uh, but it wasn't exactly how you think I don't know whether you know the story or not no that's the next question I was going to ask funnily enough so for those <laughs> that listening that might not know LDN Wrestling once had a show on the wrestling channel that did it start as TWC Fight no just TWC just the wrestling channel it then became TWC Fight when the Canadians took over and bought the channel which was towards the end of it to be fair 
Right. So LDN Wrestling had its show on the wrestling channel called Capital TV. I love the name. Very London, London based, of course. So how you mentioned on there with Sean Herbert seeing the pictures on social media of how your shows are running. Overall, how did the opportunity present itself for you to take your shows and have them televised? Well, this this goes back to the FWA. So I'd left. It's been a quite a year or two since I've left FWA. I think it's 2006 now. And out of the blue, Sean sends me a message. says, can you come to the Wrestling Channel headquarters in London? We've got a proposal for you. I was like, okay, very strange. So I show up. In the meeting, you've got John Lister, who's a, who most people within the business know. He's a wrestling historian. He's written lots of books, very knowledgeable. Yes. A guy called Kenny from Scotland, whose name's... Uh, is gone out of my head. John Ritchie, who I've never met before. Oh well, he's the scariest looking. Like he looks like he's about to mug us, or he's he's a. I wouldn't <laughs> say he just had this appearance. There's something quite uh, intimidating, quite Cray twin esque yeah, about John, isn't there? Absolutely, sort of thing. So uh, I was a bit nervous, but I sat down. I said, "What's going on?" And Sean said to me, "Look, we're run, we're going to launch the first ever uh, promotion run by a channel. It's going to be called Spirit Spirit League." And John Ritchie's going to be in charge of the wrestlers. John Lister's going to be in charge of putting the shows together with Kenny. And Sanjay, we want you to be the promoter. I was like, wow, okay, TV promotion, going to be paid very well for it. I was a young guy. I thought, well, why not? So they said, let's meet up again in a month's time. You've got a month to go and finance, find the venues, source the costs, and get back to us. And it was going to be a modern day of world of sport, all in rounds, traditional wrestling, but with modern production to make it look appealing to a new audience. Sounded brilliant. I thought, OK, sounds good. And then when the other people left, he said, in return, we'll pay you a fixed fee, but we'll also give you a TV um, slot for LDN wrestling as well. So there's also extra benefit uh, of having me aboard on this. I thought, can't go wrong. So I went home, sourced it all together, came back to them. I said, look, the problem is, with the cost of your production, the way you want to do it, you will run these shows at a sellout. You're going to make 20 quid. It's just not worthwhile. Um, so ultimately, Dolphin Television, who'd been funding the wrestling channel at the time, said, look, we're not we're not going to put in thousands, thousands into this uh, for production, for everything, to make 20 quid a show at best. So yes. what happened was they said, OK, I said, fair enough. Well, thanks. He said, do you want to do this, but do it your own way? He said, look, I appreciate the effort you put in. And it was myself assured. He said, I'll give you the TV deal. You can run it. Do what you think's best. We'll give you a season. See how it goes. If people like it, we'll keep it going. If they don't like it, we'll take it off. So I'm a, I'm a young guy. I'm like 2021. I'm like, what is going on? I don't know anything about production. I don't know. You know, I just learned how to use a PA system for the first time. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know the things. I'm good at taking ticket sales. I'm good at putting posters out. So basically, I had three months, less than three months, to put together a TV episode. And and so I called up Ralph, who'd left the FWA. I said, look, have you ever done this? He said, no. He said, but I'll learn. He's quite key. And we got along really well. We, I had a lot of respect for Ralph. Most talented person I've met outside of the ring in terms of production. And Andrew Coyne was brought up to do the commentary. And uh, that's how LDM began. We, we, we basically did a pilot show. With that. It was just filmed for us to see how it go. It went horribly wrong. The cameras didn't record probably the lighting looked awful and then we had like three weeks to get it right and i think we pulled it off i don't know whether you've ever seen it or not but the first episode had johnny kidd against magic martin stone on it in front of like 450 people in in, in a leisure center i know but it did look for what we had for the budget we had i thought we for the first few months we produced a fairly decent show considering working on shoestrings 
just to make see if it works and you know hopefully get paid which we did thankfully how would the running of these recordings you were doing for the wrestling channel be different to the standard live wrestling show you were running anyway well we had more matches and the show was slightly longer i you know i like to run two hour shows including interval yeah these slightly longer so we take three television episodes a night um some of the wrestlers did a double which is not an uncommon thing for my shows yeah uh, so we filmed three episodes each episode each show and we tried to film as much as we can so we had enough footage so we never ran out um and it, i think it worked really well being put on the poster that you film for tv does add to an audience i know a lot of people put that on their posters now and say it's being filmed for tv and it's just youtube and i think it's really un I think it's misleading. I've always, I've only ever put my posters filmed for television when it was actually going on television. And I think it helped. People came, it was a different vibe, vibe, you know, people want to be on TV, you know, and it just, it added to the atmosphere, having a big crowds and stuff. And I was able to bring out a lot of the old wrestlers from retirement because it kicked off. It was sort of a mix between British and American wrestling. So we had rounds and we had non-rounds matches, but the rounds matches were kicking off um and that's how i got johnny saint to sort of come out of retirement and do a show in 2009 in broxbourne what were the viewing figures like each week for capital tv if you can remember yeah, those how were they comparing because the the, the the way the tv ratings work is really really weird in this country it's like every couple of sort of thirty thousand, one person will have a box in their house called the bar box and if he watches something it, it, it counts for say 30 40 thousand or whatever it works so they're really misleading unless you're on BBC, but I think we did like 30, 40,000, 50, 60,000. Our best ratings were on Christmas and Boxing Day, where they're on the same par with World of Sport, which is something like 100,000. That was the best it ever went, sort of thing. Um, you know what I mean? But you know, you never know where that 100,000 relates to 100,000 people, where it just relates to, you know, because it's the way the system works in how television ratings are sort of done in this country. And I really yeah. think, I think they're still done the same and I think they need to modernise. But the ratings was good enough for the channel to be, for the show to be kept on. And a little fact, little interesting fact, I think, since the days of World of Sport ended, the longest running British wrestling show on television is LDN. We did, we did, we outlasted IPW, who didn't last very long, RQW, uh, FWA. We did, I think, two and a half years nonstop, no stops, no breaks. Uh, new content on every single week and till that day it's still the record so i'm sure someday somebody will break it but it's a nice thing to remember things by my, my grandparents were the only people that had sky tv so i'll only be able to catch an episode of capital tv every so often but one i remember seeing featured kendo nagasaki let's talk about working with kendo what was it like meeting him for the first time uh very strange so we met up in where at the wheel where drill hall and uh, his manager at the time, uh, I can't even remember this, Lloyd Ryan. Lloyd Ryan? Lloyd, Lloyd Ryan, Ryan, that's the one, yeah. yeah. He introduced us. Um, so I met him and we're doing a photo shoot uh, by Fighting Spirit magazine, who at the time were our sponsors. So it's me and Kendo. And he put the sword right literally next to my face. Not enough to touch me, but enough to, oh, God. But he didn't talk to me that day. <laughs> he bowed. I didn't talk to him. I thought, this is going to be strange. So I said to Lloyd, I said, look, if things are going to work, I'd love to have him aboard. He's a legend. He's done some great business, but we really got to meet. So we then, Lloyd Ryan, I went to his house and he, he drove me to Brighton. And we met up on a boat, which uh, Kendo, which Peter owned. And that was my first interaction with Kendo, well, Peter, who's behind the mask. 
and yes. that's how business at the shows we'd barely talk if at all after that but we'd be on the phone practically every other day discussing something and uh, he had a big role you know within the show um kendo for uh, a year and a half or so was a i'd say a bigger part of ldn wrestling especially the tv shows you touched on it there. Kendo done quite a bit for ODN Wrestling over a year, year and a half or so. And there's a match on YouTube. I watched it last night. It's Kendo and Blondie Barrett <laughs> against a young Alan Travis and Hakan. And this match is referenced in Kendo's autobiography, Man Behind the Mask. And to say Kendo got stuck in in this match is an understatement. He threw a chair on top of Hakan. He dumps a table on top of Travis. And you can be seen in the video looking concerned. What was your take on that? And what happened after that match? See, myself and Peter got to know each other really well. We had a good, you know, we, we got along really well. So we had a good relationship in terms of business. And there was a respect on both sides. But the last couple of months leading up to that, his behavior was a bit erratic with me. And in everybody, just not me, with his staff that would show up, he'd be screaming and shouting. You could hear in the locker room as you walk past. And that show in particular, he just he invested in that show people don't know he went in halves with me in the show and we had lots of publicities wolverhampton civic hall massive crowd of 950 one of my biggest attendances ever we've had itv coverage bbc coverage for nearly a month for the local regional news leading up to it and then the main coverage as well um and he just his behavior that day wasn't his normal um, the, the ringside table wasn't supposed to be used as a nice little round table, but it was a banqueting heavy steel table. It wasn't to be used. Apart yeah. so Steve Litton was just using it uh, to sit and ring announce from. And he picks up one of these table and dumps it on Hakan, I think. And it's not like it's a normal plastic table. It's going to hurt, but you live. But this is a full on table that really did put him in, you know what I mean? And at the time, I think Hakan, I think he worked in the leisure centre or something like that. So he used to have work for a week or so. And Alan was pretty injured. So we, we had a bit of an... I said to him, look, you can wrestle these younger wrestlers as you like because he wants to obviously squash them around, throw them around. I don't mind about that, but like, don't do it to a point where these people can't go to work or can't, you know, are in serious pain the next few days. Work with them because Alan Hacker were only young students who just started to make on the shows. Whatever Kendo said, he's they're going to do. You just don't need to take advantage and scruff them up so much. You know, I mean, in this day and age, if people are trying to work with you, when somebody's an idiot, you can understand. But when these guys are doing everything he's asked them to do in the ring, I think he went too far, and I pulled him on it. And uh, he never, he didn't show up for my next show, even though he's advertised. He didn't answer the phone, so I didn't think he was going to show up. And he put a newspaper advert for my legend show in Thurrock Civic Hall, saying that he's not appearing. That's how I found out that he wasn't. It was the week of the show, uh, saying he wasn't appearing. Right. He, that, you know, he spent 120 quid on an advert. He could have just sent me a text. You know what I mean? So. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's the way it goes. You know, you can't cry about these things. But I do think he was unprofessional in the last time. And he put in his book that, you know, that these wrestlers weren't full time and stuff like that. But neither was he at this time, you know. And you know what it's like. You wrestle, especially if you're wrestling every single day, even if you're wrestling a couple of times a week, you know, you have to be able to get up the next day without somebody scurfing you to, you know, there's no need for this day and age, I think, when people are being professional to go around scurfing someone. To that extent. No, I, I completely agree with you. you. Do the so the show that Kendo, yeah, the show that Kendo didn't show up for at Thorax Civic Hall, Kendo goes on to say in his book how the feud he was involved with at that time in LDN would culminate in a match with Yorgos, which would see Yorgos being bladed with Kendo's samurai sword. And when did you hear about this idea, and how did it go down with you? 
he told me like um, a couple of weeks, this is before Wolverhampton happened. So Wolverhampton, I think, was in October and four weeks later was supposed to be the Legends show in Greys in November. I remember that because it's the only Grey show that's ever taken place on a Saturday. And he said, he said to me, like, I'm going to get the sword. I'm going to, we're going to go to the backstage and only the camera crew will see me slicing with it. I said, you can't do that. So Yorgos is a police officer. You, he cannot be going to work with a massive gash on his head because yeah. he's being sliced. I said, it's ridiculous. I said, you can't do that. I said, look, you can do what you want to do with cutting him up, but you're not hitting him with a real sword. Now, I'd, I'd purchased the samurai sword and had it engraved. The sword was actually mine. Uh, I paid for it. And it wasn't a fake sword. It was a real sword, which wow. is why the cover was kept on all the time. The engraving was on the casing rather than the sword itself. And I said, under no circumstances is that going to happen. Uh, obviously, I said it in nicer words, you know, because we were all right with each other. And then I think that's what led to him getting a bit funny um, and obviously him not showing up in the end. But there was no way under any circumstances is anybody going to be touching anybody with the real-life sword. It's just ridiculous. So Kendo Nagasaki is one of several legendary names that have appeared for LDN Wrestling as yourself under the LDN banner were well-known for running the Legends Showdown events. What made you want to go down this route and promote the names that had featured on World of Sport? Uh, when we started putting on the wrestling channel, we were on seven days a week. We'd have one new night of programming, which was a Thursday night, I think. It changed a few times. But the show would be repeated throughout the week several times. And they found that there was, the, the World of Sport would draw really well. The old episodes would draw really well on the channel. But they didn't have a show to put on that would keep the audience staying on. They'd find if they put TNA on afterwards... Uh, it would be a different audience or people would drop off. If they put on a different American wrestling company or anything, or even FWA, it just wouldn't connect. But with because I was using the old wrestlers, people had watched it and saw Johnny Saint, or sorry, Johnny Kidd or something when they was young. Now seeing him on in his 40s and 50s, they stayed on to say, oh, that's what we remember. So my show was good in keeping the world of sport audience staying on that channel. And so it, at the time it sort of changed and I thought, you know what, there's obviously a market here. So the show became a little bit more traditional and then season two, it became extremely more traditional. And then I thought, you know what, this is what people want to see. Let's produce the first ever uh, Legend Showdown event in November uh, at Broxmond Civic Hall. And I needed some ex really good names to come out of retirement to make it work. I had Kendo doing a special appearance, but I needed a big draw in terms of somebody who could wrestle. And that's how Johnny Saint came back to the ring. Following on from this, LDN Wrestling has had a close relationship with the British Wrestlers Reunion for many years. Predominantly the British Wrestlers Reunion run in Kent. So how was how was that formed? That was the Legend Show. So obviously when I was trying to get the first Legend Show, I contacted people like Mal Mason, who gave me a helping hand with the show, and Frank Reimer was the other person. I'd been introduced to Frank by Johnny Kidd, and Frank, since the first Legend Show, has been such a great friend to not only myself, but to LDN Wrestling. He's helped us with so many things, and he doesn't get the thanks that he deserves, and uh, he's been such a great guy, a lot of knowledge, such helpful, he's opened up so many doors. He's, into, he's got so many legends to appear. He got Brian Maxine to appear on my show. Um, so I got to know him. And then I started going to the reunion and I'm obviously met Wayne Bridges. And as every year I went, a lot of the people started to know me as the guy from the wrestling channel um, who put up, puts on the show. So uh, that's how the relationship started with the reunion. And to this day, it's very strong. I'm very close. To, I get along with Ken Souden, who runs it now with Frank occasionally. So 
uh, I have a great relationship with them and I think it's a great thing once a year for people to go and catch up with each other and you know you forget about who you like and you don't like you just just a nice day out being so in with those that are running the British Wrestlers Reunion are the promoter of the year awards self-awarded no <laughs> I'm sure many think people than they are Brian Dixon got one and I was there yes. and he deserves one and I he deserves many to be fair uh John Fremantle has received one uh multiple other promoters have received one the Knights have been, I know that Zach and Roy um were honored as well the Knight family so I don't know whether they won the promoter but they've they've definitely won awards so it hasn't been look I, you know it's nice to get an award and I don't Ever, if you watch, if you go on the website, if you go on anything right now, Audio Related, I, it's always the wrestlers. I'm not on the website. I don't put myself forward right now. Maybe when I was younger, I did, but the last 10, 15 years, I haven't. It's all about the wrestlers. I don't push myself. So to, to get an award once in a while from the reunion is much appreciated. And they've always obviously given reasons. And I know me being me, a bit controversial at times. <laughs> people, do, people do kick up a fuss, but, you know, and, you know, the, I'm running more shows than most people are sort of thing. So there's obviously a reason to why they've awarded it. And the fact that people like Johnny Kidd and others are standing up and giving the awards, I think is a testament as well. One name that for, for quite a while was associated with the Southern Wrestlers Reunion was the late Mick McManus. And I, I luckily enough got to meet Mick before he passed away. Was there ever any talk of Mick being involved with LDN wrestling he was he was he was um the last ever legend show Joe Durazio was being awarded in the ring and there's a big parade of legends and Mick Manus was the special guest who came into the ring so his last ever appearance in a wrestling ring was uh at the Grey show that Kendo didn't show up to um and Mick Manus came to the ring and he thanked the audience for coming he'd done a nice speech and he was probably in his 90s then it was just before he died so yes. he done a speech uh, about Joe's life, and it was it was amazing how somebody that age can get in the ring, uh, say a few words, and the reaction that he got was phenomenal. And he was a really nice guy. Uh, and to that day, he showed up with pitch black hair, so he obviously still dyed his hair. Yes, that's that's right. Yeah, it's an absolute honour to have him, though. I thought he was um, I thought he was great. He did a really good job for us, and I really really did appreciate him showing up. He didn't have to come back out. He didn't have to come in the ring because originally. We said we can do the ceremony part outside of the ring, presenting the award, and he insisted in going in the ring. So I think that, at his age, you know, with the bad backs that wrestlers have and, and general people at the age of 90 have, for him to do that was pretty phenomenal. Absolutely. Is there anyone from the world of sport era of British professional wrestling that you would love to have worked with, but you didn't get the chance to do so? Uh, I just tried to... I think I would love to have Mick in the ring. Obviously, it's far too late, but... I, th I think yeah. was, I think Mick Manus was the big main one. Big Daddy, I think, would have been great. I think Big Daddy, I know a lot of people are, they say he's not the best wrestler, but Big Daddy is, the, you go in the shops, you speak to the old shop owners, and you talk about wrestling, they'll either say Hulk Hogan if they'll watch modern, but everybody else says Big Daddy. He was the name, you know what I mean? And it doesn't matter about what he did in the ring or what kind of matches he did. He was the name that everybody mentions. So to this day, I'll go to a shop, bakery shop can you put up a poster and they'll be like do you remember big daddy and so that i think it would have been great to have big daddy on the shows but can't obviously if he's passed away but i would have that would be my big choice i think so either you get big daddy or giant haystacks those are the two names or yeah. going as far as that you get mick mcmanus or jackie palo and some may say kendo yeah absolutely and, and those are the big names that people always mention but yeah big daddy's always at the top though so fair play to him he's obviously had a big effect that everybody still remembers him and it doesn't necessarily mean that 
people can say about it, he's not the best wrestler. It doesn't matter. I think he was. The fact that people still remember him means everything, I think, in this day and age. So many years on. It's like 30, 40 years on. It's madness, isn't it, that people still remember him. So moving forward to today's shows, and for those that are listening that have never been to or heard about the LDN wrestling shows, what's the format? Uh, it's a live touring show format, so we're in one night in one town and to the other. Uh, it's a five-match show with four singles or a tag, either a Rumble main event or a six-man sort of main event. It's very much aimed at the family market. Uh, it's not holiday camp or anything like that, but it is aimed at the family market, and it, it does well. We, we do all over the country. We've done international shows. We've done shows in Austria, working with other promotions, Hungary, uh, Greece. Uh, but my, my top of the, the pile is I've run my own show in New York. I've run three shows in New York. Uh, one was in New Jersey, to be fair. But, yeah, the Queen's Theatre in New York in 2017 was my... Uh, I think uh, doing my international show was my favourite one. Some of the halls you run, the Princess Theatre Clacton, Margate Winter Gardens, the Thurrock Civic Hall in Greys, these have been wrestling venues for decades. And when you first went into these halls, did you feel like you were treading on any toes? Uh, a lot of these halls, the promoters had been chucked out. So, uh, like Thurrock, Civic Hall, Margate Winter Gardens, they wouldn't have wrestling again. It took me a long time because, I won't mention the promoter's name, uh, but the, the previous promoter had been chucked out for doing something. I don't know what, what they've done. Damage to the building, I don't know, but that's the impression I got. So they didn't want to have wrestling again, so I had to talk them into it. And if you ask these these venue managers, a lot of them are the same people now, they'll say to you, it took a lot of persuading, but I brought wrestling backs. And with Clacton, the last promoter, Clacton's had about 20 promoters, I think. Phil Powers was the one before me. You had Ricky Knight, um, Tom Thumb. I think Brian Dixon's run it, met a few times before. He's had so many promoters, but uh, I took over running the Princess Theatre in Clacton. It's one of my favourite venues. From Phil Powers, who was your last guest. Uh, but I don't, yes. think there's any, I don't think there's any animosity. There probably was at that time, but it's just business, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm sure he's fine with it. I think he'd stopped running shows at that time as well, so it wouldn't be the end of the world. And we still speak now, so I don't think he holds too much of a grudge. No, absolutely not. So you, you run a, a variety of venues, be it theatres, town halls, art centres and so on. Why hasn't LDN Wrestling ever promoted holiday camp wrestling? Uh, it, it's more of a personal thing. My summer, I don't think, uh, maybe we're in the future, but a lot of them don't pay the money that I think is worth going out for. And I don't mean to be disrespectful to anybody, but the money isn't to what I'd like to earn from a town show. Also, I have a certain life that I enjoy and I think being on the road every single day in the summer would ruin it. I like to go in this. I normally run about 12 to 15 shows in the summer. In between that, I go on holiday. So I have a nice time out. And I think I'd have to change the way I do things. It's never say never, but it has to be the right holiday camp. But I'll be honest, I'm not looking to run holiday camps uh, anytime soon. But that's not to say in the future. It just depends on the business side of things. Uh, ticking the T's and C's to make it work for me. How many shows are you running a year? Uh, goes up and down. Uh, around about 170, 180 uh, in a good year. I think this year is going to be completely ruined by any sort of numbers with what's going on with this virus. So uh, uh, last year we did, I think, just about 180 shows. So it was quite busy. So running so many shows, you must be needing a lot of wrestlers. And as a promoter, what are you looking for when it comes to booking a crew for your shows? Uh, I think they've got to look the part. No, not all the wrestlers need to look the same. Everyone looks, needs to look different. You've got the big fat guys, you've got the big guys on the show, you've got the muscly guys, you've got the cruiserweight. So everyone's got to have their part to play on the show and try to make sure that everybody doesn't 
look the same. I think that's quite important. And, you know, I've got my set roster that I like to use and I like to bring in American wrestlers as well because I think it adds to it. So I've got my set team of wrestlers um, and they're so busy wrestling for me. A lot of these people you won't see wrestling many other places because they're so busy doing my shows and they're, they're on a regular you know, regular slots. You, see, you also see special appearances like from Johnny Kidd. He's retired, semi-retired, I'd say. But occasionally he will come out and do a match for me and you won't hear about it but the people in the audience will have a great time because they'll remember him from the old days for those that are listening that aren't familiar who are some of the names that would feature on an ldn wrestling show well you've got the main one Anne lee travis who's the british champion who's been with us since day one trained by ldn wrestling's justin richards at the time and john ritchie so yeah. he'd be with us you've got joey scott who i think is incredibly talented as well uh crusher curtis the big guy on the show you've got rex dangerous uh, Harry Singh, RJ Singh occasionally as well, uh, the inmate. So the, there's lots of other people. You've promoted hundreds of wrestlers over the years. Who amongst them stands out to you? Okay, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to mention Alan. He always gets associated with LDN and gets, I don't think, the amount of praise that he deserves. Uh, for, I think Alan's very talented, wrestles different styles. He works multiple times if needed. He does every show. In the last 10, 12 years of wrestling, he's missed a handful of shows for family. Uh, I know his, his grandmother passed away only a couple of years ago. He missed a show for that. He's missed a family de- another family death. Uh, but generally speaking, Alan doesn't miss shows. Even if he gets to the shows late because of a prior engagement, he doesn't miss shows. I think he's very talented and he's always there. Uh, I think I need to put him forward. And I also need to thank Johnny Kidd and John Ritchie. Now, John Ritchie doesn't wrestle for us or wrestle in tour anymore he's retired but i think john ritchie is one of the reasons why ldn is where he is today he's trained a lot of the wrestlers his style was so unique he was believable you watch him and you think well we'll have a fight with him you see, if you saw him in the street and he didn't like you you'd cross the road you know what I mean? but he was a nice guy i feel you can't mention john without mentioning freddie cornell god rest his soul what a character the two of them together they, they, it was it was, it was gold Absolutely. The, the comedy that they did was really um, possibly Penton Pratt was another gimmick. The same person played uh, the butler of John Ritchie and unfortunately he died a few years ago of epilepsy. Uh, but he was tremendous. I think they just complemented each other really well. And it was just different. Nobody else in British wrestling was doing that style. It was just different to everybody else. And the audiences loved it every night. They loved it. He might be in the villain of the show. But in the back in the signing afterwards, I talked to the customers. Who did you like? And all the parents came up to me and they said, we love John Ritchie. And it's great that the kids enjoy it. But when the parents have got something that they can go home and laugh about and tell their friends, I think it's a great thing as well. And that's the thing with family entertainment, because if you're, you're not just keeping the kids entertained, if you're able to cross over and keep the parents that have come along as well, they've had to bring the kids, then you're doing something right. I think that's the thing, finding the balance between entertaining everybody's in the audience because I don't just draw parents and children I draw OAP older people who used to watch wrestling as well and they take their grandkids so you have to do something for everybody on the show otherwise they're not going to want to come back the kids might enjoy it but the parents will be like oh we'll, we'll take your cinema next time so you have to appeal to your audience and mine I think definitely I, I think I've hopefully I've got it right you know what I mean and the numbers prove that they're still coming back so I think that's the way forward anyway as a promoter, what's your method of letting a community know that LDN Wrestling is coming to town? I can't give away my secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say we've got a good promotional team that work for us and they work very hard, six days a week, uh, and they're out there promoting the events. 
uh, so that people know that the show is in the town. If you if you go to any of my towns where I run and there's a show going on, you know that the event's happening. Now, it's worth touching on the situation that we're currently in at the moment. Yeah. What effect has the coronavirus had on LDN wrestling? Well, we're shut down, aren't we, right now? Nobody can run events. Uh, who knows when events are going to happen? Some venues think it's going to be September, October, November. Some venues think maybe July for lucky. But right now, we haven't had a show. I believe we might have had the last show in the UK. My last show was on Sunday the 14th, I think it was, of March. So it was one of the last shows that took place in the country. And it was in Ireland, Northern Ireland at the time. Uh, Sunday the 15th, sorry, March. Uh, so it was the last show that took place. So right now, there's no business, you know, and the government aren't. like They're trying hard. I think people need to give them a little bit of... Um, Less stick, I think. You know, they've made a few mistakes. Maybe shut down a little bit late, but I think they're working hard, and I think we just got to give them a chance. And unfortunately, we're all stuck in the same boat. It's very depressing and boring. We're sitting at home, but at least you know, it's just it is what it is. What can we do? What effect do you see the coronavirus having on British wrestling overall? I think it's. I think when we do open, there'll be a lot of social distancing. So I don't think if a venue holds 500, you're not going to be allowed to have 500 people in, not until they get a cure for the virus. So it could be our, our capacity is reduced to like 20, 30, 40 percent of people have to be spread out. So the atmosphere, I think Phil touched on this last week, the atmosphere is going to be lost a little bit. And it's going to be disheartening. And you go to Clacton where you do like five, six hundred, and you're going to be only allowed two or three hundred. I don't know how it's going to be, but this is what I'm thinking. It's going to be a bit depressing, but it doesn't matter. Even if we're allowed half our people or thirty percent, we're going to start running shows as soon as it's, it's safe to do so. Uh, within the rules, we'll be putting on events and going back to what we do and entertaining the people. What's your thoughts on the British wrestling circuit as a whole? See, I, I, I used to be quite opinionated. Not so much now. I leave people to it. I think uh, I think coming out of this virus, it'll be interesting to see who survives and who doesn't. I think you can already see, you know, the difference between the promoters who are already struggling, who've got the GoFundMes, and I'm not having a, a go. Some of them have got, like, business rates and rents to pay and stuff for buildings that they run for their training schools. And they, you know, you can understand, but there's other promoters who've run out of money already and, they're not putting on events and they haven't got any money to survive on. And I think those people may struggle to come back from it. Um, and I think it would be a very different landscape in six months' time to who's running wrestling shows or not. So I'm not sure. But uh, in terms of what I think of wrestling, I think I think it's good. It's keeping people going. There's some good. There's a lot of bad out there as well. But I think the ones that are bad, unfortunately, sometimes you'll have a bad show, go to a town. We'll come into it and people think it's the same show they'll just see the word wrestling. And unfortunately, sometimes they can have a, a bad effect and kill off a town for at least a couple of months to a year, which is sometimes disheartening. And it seems to happen quite a lot in the last couple of years. It's funny you say that, because being a touring show, you go all over the place. And sometimes you find yourself running in towns where another wrestling group may be running a show already or have run shows. How do you approach this? Well, often uh, I've been there before them, but even if I have, I, I don't say anything. It's their job. I'm running the theatre in the town. They're running maybe the social club. I, I just book my date and crack on with it. I don't need to speak to people and stuff. And they run their business. I've got my business to run. You know, the way I see it in some respects, you know, if I leave them to it, I'm not going into the theatre as such. I'm going to a different building. You've got two news agents not too far apart. It makes no sense to have two shows in one town, to be fair. But I think if you've got a date in a theatre often, 
they're booked a year and a half, two years in advance. And if in between that time of you booking it, another show comes into the town and puts a show in the social club, it's just one of those things. So I don't think about it too much. You know, I mean, I'm quite confident in my business and I think I just continue on. Now, being quite a controversial character within British <laughs> wrestling, how do you respond to the stories that you would sabotage another promoter running in the same town as you? I'd say fake news. <laughs> to, 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 somebody famous says that i don't know who but uh it's fake news i would never do such a thing so you're you're, you're declining all allegations of tearing down posters and phoning councils and i would never do a thing but i will say things thing about the license right if you drive a car you need a license now if you have an accident josh and you don't have a license which i think you do it's and you hurt someone you're going to go to jail more than likely same with the thing with the wrestling. If you don't have a license and you run a show, you are breaking the rules. Now, if you've got exemption for the license, fair enough. But if you don't run shows by the rules and regulations, then you are, it's not the person maybe who's grassing you up. It's your fault for not having the right paperwork in the first place. And I think I apply that to a, car, a driver's thing because if somebody hit my car and they don't have a license, I'm, they're going to be in big trouble because they won't have insurance. You know, they won't have the right paperwork. They're going to get in. It's the same sort of, I think, applies to wrestling. You have to run by the rules and the regulations. And you can't blame I, I, I agree. Sort of thing, you know what I mean? It's, it's, I would never drive a car without insurance. Insurance or a license, you know what I mean? If you, like I said, I've got a van and a car. If I drive my van without the insurance, the police will stop me and take the van off me and give me nine points or take me to yeah. court. You know what I mean? There's consequences for not playing by rules. So... It's not the per it's the person's fault for not having the right paperwork. No one else's. No, I, I, I agree with you. Now, being a touring show, how do you view the other promoters of touring wrestling shows? Uh, with great respect, I think there's some good promoters. I, I don't people don't think I do, but I think Ricky Knight and what WAW. I know they tour around Norwich mainly and, and do the case show outside. But I think they and they do the holiday camps. I think they're doing a great job. I think Ricky Knight's. I respect him a lot. I've used Ricky Knight. I like Ricky. I like Zach. I think Roy Knight is one of the best workers in the country. And when he's available, which is hard, I use him on my shows. Uh, so I have respect. I have respect for Brian Dixon as well, believe it or not. I know people, we've had a rivalry for a few years, quite a few years, but there's respect for what he's done for the business. And Scott Conway, who looks like he's re-emerging, another great promoter from the past. Um, and there's many other promoters. I, believe it or not, have a lot of respect for the touring shows, maybe more so for than the social club shows. How does it make you feel when others say that you have no respect for the promoters that have come before you? Uh, I'd say that when they talk about me going into say uh, that comes down to things like me going into the Fairfield halls and going into the Victoria halls. I would say that Brian Dixon did the same thing in the seventies and eighties to other promoters, to Max Crabtree and to many other promoters. It's just business. I, you know, I'm a businessman, I'm a business owner. And sometimes you can't please everybody, but you know, I've got to do what's right for, for my business. And that's the way I see it. You know, I'm not even interested in really what they say. It's, it's, it's up to them. A lot of the people saying that work for rival companies. So it's fine. Let them, let them continue on is what I say. We'll wrap this up a little bit now. If there's one word associated with the name Sanjay Bagger, <laughs> it's sandwiches. Yeah.
When did the rumor that's... start that you pay the wrestlers in sandwiches? Yeah, I wish I could pay. I've had people like Johnny saying, Ken, no, all these people. I think it was started by a rival. It was a wrestler. I don't know whether I should name him or not. I don't know whether I should. But he asked for work, and I said, no. I'm a... He was quite young now. He's on WWUK right now as one of the wrestlers. And uh, I said he wanted to book me. This is the days where all conversations were done on MSN Messenger. I don't know whether you remember that or not. I do, do indeed. Yeah, the old days. And he sent me a message. He said, oh, can I go to show us? Listen, you live in Leeds. You're far too far for London shows at the time. Thanks very much. But if I ever come up in your area, I'll give you a shout. He said, I don't need a lot of money at the time. Remember, he was just starting out. Uh, and then he says, I'll, uh, I just need some, some sandwiches. And I started laughing. I said, oh, no th thanks, but no thanks. And if, if you look at my roster at that time, Mike Mendoza, Danny Garnell, John Ritchie, Alan Hacker, all near enough London-based wrestlers or around London, Middlesex, Kent, you know, that sort of neck of the woods. So I weren't using northern wrestlers. And then next minute, now the story went wild. But I don't, we made fun of it on LDN Capital TV. We thought it was really funny, and it's never bothered me. And if anything, people come to me with a lower wage that they normally think they'd get because they think I'm going to haggle with them anyway. So if if anything, maybe it's worked to an advantage of getting a better deal. Where do you see LDN wrestling going in the next five years? Hopefully, we'll continue touring. I want to get back to the normal. I don't know how long it's going to be, but I'd like to get back to normal running shows up and down the country, coming to a town that hasn't had wrestling maybe for 20, 30 years. We're going to be running Scotland soon if things go our way. We've just started to run Northern Ireland. We've run four or five shows there so far, and it's gone down really well. Uh, we'll continue expanding throughout the UK um, and running other territories as well. And I'd like to go running back to New York when I can. Obviously, I don't think this year is out of the question, but I think next year we'll be back in New York and New Jersey for shows. Sanjay, thank you for taking the time to come on. And thank you to all those that are listening. We'll be back next week when another guest does the rounds with Josh Faulkner. <laughs>